can neither be created nor destroyed, only converted from one form of energy to another. This is Albert Einstein's law of conservation of energy. Do you think that time travel is real? What about past lives? Reincarnation, the transference of energy, vibes. Do you think it is possible for you in your current life to get a glimpse into your future life or the future in general? Paul Amadeus Dianush was a Swiss-Austrian teacher of fragile health. His father was a German-speaking Swiss man, and his mother was an Austrian woman from Salzburg. Paul was born in the suburb of Zurich, Germany, and raised in a village nearby. He later followed humanitarian studies with a strong inclination to the history of cultures and classical philology. Paul traveled to Greece in the autumn of 1922 at the age of 36 after having recovered from a one-year coma caused by a serious illness with hopes that the mild climate in Greece Greece would help improve his condition. During Paul's time in Greece, he taught French and German lessons in order to provide himself with an income to live off. Amongst his students was George Papahatis. Now, George was Paul's favorite and most honored pupil. George would later describe Paul, his teacher, as a very cautious and very modest man that emphasized the details. So they had a very kindred relationship. Paul later would die of tuberculosis in Athens, Greece, on his way back to his hometown while traveling through Italy in the first quarter of the year 1924. But before passing, Paul entrusted George with a novel amount of papers and told George to use it to improve his German by translating it from German to Greek. When George actually got the chance to look through the papers, however, he realized it was actually Paul's diary and its contents were from the future. Apparently, Paul had previously suffered from encephalitis lethargica, which is a rather strange neurological disease that develops an immune system response to overloaded neurons. The first time Paul had failed into a lethargic sleep was for 15 minutes. The second time was for an entire year. During this year that Paul was in a coma in a Geneva Swiss hospital, Paul claimed to have entered the body of a man named Andreas Northam. And Andreas Northam, believe it or not, was a man who lived in the year 3906 AD, the 40th century. Given Paul's professional background, once entering the body of Andreas Northam in the 40th century, he naturally, thoroughly sought to document his life as Andreas Northam and once in the future, he extensively began researching the history that occurred before the 40th century. Paul wrote that people in the future understood and believed his situation. The people of the future actually had a term for what Paul had experienced and they called it a conscious slide. And then they proceeded to tell Paul as many things as they could in relation to the historical events that took place between the 21st century and the 40th century. The only thing that they did not tell him in full detail was the exact story of the 20th century. In case that Paul's consciousness returned back to its original body and era, they believed it would be dangerous to let him know his immediate future and the future of his era in case it disturbed or altered the path of history in his life. Paul was, however, able to learn of the things that would occur at the end of the 20th century and learn the gist of what occurred during the 20th century. Paul's student George translated Paul's accounts in a book entitled Chronicles from the Future, The Amazing Story of Paul Amadeus Dianesh. So, of course, upon realizing he was not in his time and not in his body and coming to terms with the fact that all he knew and loved no longer existed, Paul especially began mourning over knowing his mother was no longer alive as he was in the future. He actually began to freak out to the point that he started choking and he passed out after crying out for help when he found himself in the future, but in the hospital. He was later told that it is both true that his mother is naturally not alive in the 40th century as she lived during the 20th century, but it is also true that she is still alive 
have as time is not linear. The past and the present exist at the same time. The people around Paul spoke broken German in order to communicate with him. But upon further listening, Paul noticed that they actually spoke another language that sounded somewhat similar and seemed to contain some Anglo-Saxon roots crossed with some Scandinavian words. So initially, Paul thought that he was in a foreign land and that they were foreigners. He was able to get the gist of what they were saying in their native language due to his own history in linguistics as a teacher. And he knew the roots of what he heard in their language. Paul finds that the German he spoke is considered a dead language in this era, while the broken Anglo-Scandinavian is considered the universal tongue of the future. A man named Jaeger visited Paul. Jaeger was actually at the hospital to visit his 28-year-old pupil, Andreas Northam. Jaeger in the future is a widely celebrated spiritual man whose works was widely read and whose lectures seats thousands. He had taught Northam for four years and became a sort of spiritual father to him. Before the two men just naturally went their own separate ways just due to life's responsibilities. Stefan is Andreas Northam's closest friend. So Jaeger and Stefan helped Paul a lot by catching him up regarding information on the man whose body he now inhabits. They essentially helped Paul spiritually and mentally transition into his new life and a new time in this new body. It appears that Andreas underwent some sort of freezing process after Andreas underwent a clinical death. And it was during Andreas' clinical death that Paul's consciousness emerged into Andreas's body. At the same time, Paul's body is in a coma. Only four people at this time knew about Paul's strange case. Two were physicians and the other two were Jaeger and Stefan. Paul asked for it to be kept this way and Jaeger promised while strangely confusingly saying to Paul that the Valley of the Roses will have the last word. It's up to them to decide how long this will be kept a secret from the rest of the world. Paul is exposed to something called the Regan Squawk, which is a type of narration that consists of a simultaneous combo of sight and sound, a voice narration, and pictures coming to life before you. Now, I'm going to assume that the Regan Squawk is actually a television, and since Paul went into his coma between 1921 and 1922, and televisions were not technically invented until 1927, of course, Paul had never seen such technology before. Jaeger advises Paul to dive deeply into the great spiritual paths that have now been open to humankind. The data system in the future changes as well. It is 3906 AD but in the future calendar it is 1509. After Jaeger leaves Paul, Paul leaves the hospital and goes on with life as Andreas Northam. And this is what Paul Dianesh discovers about the past, which is of course the future to us. <laughs> Paul saw that in the latter part of the 20th century, the standards of living went up and the consumption of food and industrial products rose to an extent inconceivable for previous times and the pursuit of the dollar became one of the primary motivations of creative action in everyday life. Sensitivity became old and obsolete and mankind's consciousness did not challenge the circumstances anymore and mankind's capability for rebellion, which had once been very common, decreases significantly. Paul found out that the North American government took on responsibilities of political influence around the world to such an extent that nobody could have ever imagined this occurring in the beginning of the 20th century when he lived. Now this is the part of the 20th century that Paul and his original body had yet to live through. And 
I suppose this is accurate, even as of now the United States is the leader of the world. And thanks to the world wars and the Cold War especially, and the United States going against the Soviet Union during this Cold War and gaining allies all around to just make it more of a superpower, the United States has developed itself as the leader of the new world. Prior to a certain dominance during the world wars, of course, this was an unforeseen feat. Paul himself had only lived through World War One, And to make matters worse, Paul finds that the automation of work is in the new large industries deprive people of time for reflection and moral self-control in the course of their life, creating a poverty of inner life and self. This along with the stressful pace of life and many manifestations of the aggressive struggle for survival and the prevalence of a type of realism is the means to the end of the 20th century. Basically, Paul sees that in the 20th century, at the end of the 20th century, people are in a rat race. They're so busy trying to chase the dollar, trying to survive, trying to pay rent, mortgage, all these bills, having to work multiple jobs that at the end of the day, they have no time for themselves. They are not able to explore or experience the life as it should be and self-reflect and learn about themselves and explore spiritualism, none of that stuff. They're too busy worrying about work, 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 bills, 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 money, 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 and also people lose compassion for the next person. And I will say, thinking about the end of the 20th century and right now, that is essentially where we are. So Paul's reflection in this sense is correct. In the future, the years between 2000 and 2300 AD are considered a period called the Dark Ages. During this time, humanity is still struggling with the problems of overpopulation, ecological destruction of the environment, economic inequalities, a horrible and inefficient monetary system, the lack of appropriate nutrition for all people, and local minor wars. People are living in this hastily raised for atomic financial survival without time to look for their inner self and spiritual development. Paul calls the 21st century the materialistic century, where an era came in composing of zero sensitivity, zero concern for human values, zero noble feelings, unilateral technological progress without the necessary morale maturity of man. Everyone was only interested in themselves. Love, straightforwardness, mercy, and forgiveness was swept aside as a result. Society in this era becomes competitive, and people become indifferent to the means by which someone attains wealth, even if it was through immoral means. All people care about were the results and the effectiveness. People lacked a conscience and that was accompanied by a lack of common sense. This is an era where the thirst for power and domination prevailed. A time where making love was just superficial and without emotion and heartless. Just a biological pleasure without spiritual backing. The influence of family and school in this era is reduced to a minimum. People were after life, intense activities, any kind of dynamic action rather than thorough meditation seems like a lost art in this era. Young people in this era lacked even the basic moral values and did not believe in anything. And the blame of it was the adults who had left them alone without a guide to find their own way. This occurs as a result of their parents and the rat race. Because this generation's youth were raised by the parents who came up during the latter part of the 20th century when this rat race began to take its toll on society. This leads to a world of worthless idols such as actors, mimes, boxers, footballers, scruffy, long hair, 
revered musicians, courtesans, and heartless tycoons instead of true heroes. Well, I will have to say, Paul, this is definitely describing the shallow world that I am currently living in, unfortunately. Paul continues by saying that as a result of the lack of faith in some ideals, people actually lose their inner balance in the 21st century and it leaves a deep void. People suddenly become incapable of approaching a superior view of life and the world. The world of religion collapses and a number of physicists argue that the scientific knowledge had came to replace the naive faith and goodness. People become complacent with the mess of society and simply chuck it up to scenes like things are what they are. Because of their view, life is an irrational flow of sequential events, a completely random biological evolutionary process without purpose, direction, or reason. Then came times when this disappearance of all fame and metaphysical habits combined with the exhausting rhythm of life of the human robot results in the appearance of distressing mental side effects on a grand scale of neuropsychiatric disorders and extensive suicides and then a stage of people believing that life is meaningless and with this comes the rejection of all religion and moral principles leading to self-abandonment and these times prevail for many years. Quick side note though, I will say that at current we are actually living in a time where the awareness of mental health is most prominent unlike ever before in history and this is widely celebrated because prior generations did not acknowledge mental health and illnesses and we resort to religion to try to heal or cure disorders or ailments of the mind which is a good progression but I am also aware that in current times us youth experience more mental issues as a whole in comparison to our previous generations midlife crises do not occur midlife anymore but rather in the early 20s and it seemingly never stops the pressure of society is unlike it has ever been before for example the hardships of this generation's grandparents and even parents is not remotely close to this generation's hardships due to everything that goes on in society to this day let alone the cost of living that rises when employee pay does not rise to an amount that would make one able to survive without the need to work a minimum of 60 to 100 hours a week at one job or at two to three jobs or at two jobs with two to three side hustles which is very normal to do in this day and age it's a bit much it's a whole lot it is definitely not like in our grandparents time when the man could be the only one in the household working his wife stayed home with her 11 kids and they would have a car they'd have a nice house they'd have food on the table the parents and the kids would all have decent clothing and go to a nice school you cannot do that with one working person in the household in this day and age our generation cannot do that on average so in 2020 when the world actually shut down i think people finally realized that they were running around like robots c19's worldly shutdown actually made people sit down and when society sat down i think the masses realized that they were actually exhausted mentally physically spiritually and emotionally and had not noticed because all they knew all their lives has been hustle and bustle and that small sit down during quarantine now we are going through what people jokingly call the great resignation because once society started back up people realized that their employers did not care about their well-being and that they were just numbers to everybody in society from the utility companies landlords apartment franchise heads their own employers people realized that these folks did not care about whether a person was sick and literally dying or just lost their child or parent or grandparents or relative to c19 or was about to go homeless due to rent still being due despite many people's jobs actually completely shutting down their quarantine and even afterwards ending up being permanently shut down 
down. Bills were still being mandated and people had no means to an end to survive. A stimulus check was sent out $1,200 to last over a period of eight to nine months. It's just not reasonable in today's time and economy. The unemployment system made it virtually impossible for people to even receive their unemployment that they were justifiably due to have due to the conditions of the world. A lot of people still haven't gotten their unemployment checks when the world shut down. And during this time of only receiving $1,200 in the stimulus check, if you even got that, and not receiving an unemployment check, and jobs everywhere being shut down, with the exception of gig jobs and rideshare jobs such as Uber Eats, DoorDash, Grubhub, and the likes becoming oversaturated to the point that it was no longer profitable for your common independent contractor. With all of that going on, a lot of people during this period went homeless and hungry, and nobody cared. The government was sitting there voting back and forth, back and forth, should be getting them something or not. What type of a system is that? Very inefficient, right? Considering it wasn't a matter of people having their hand out, it was a matter of the world to shut down. There's all these food shortages going on. There's all these dead ends, no matter where you turn to look, which was actually the reason a lot of people resorted to committing fraud and filing PPP and SBA and EIDL loans when they did not have businesses. And this also led to people being very angry because when you're trying to survive and you're struggling, it's easy to get very outraged. And so when a lot of racial and discriminations happened during quarantine, the whole country was on fire, okay? The whole country and the whole world, matter of fact, rioted over George Floyd's death. It was like the tip of the iceberg for everybody. People were sick and tired, sick and tired of everything. There were so many things that were wrong going on across the world. Anything, everything became a trigger at this point, okay? People realized, particularly in America, that America or their own country in general lacked the ability to care about its citizens and this thought of not caring trickled down to the employers and the elites and the heads of every type of small business and big business. It trickled down into society. This not caring mentality. People realized that their country was essentially a business and did not care about them as individuals and as just basic humans. And not to mention the government not being as efficient and effective as possible during C-19 of handling caring for people with common decency at all. People realized how good it felt not to be in the rat trap and rat race and always in go, 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 work, 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 do, 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 mode 24-7 and they liked it there. And here we are, the great resignation. It was once hard for people to find jobs. Now, it's hard for jobs to find people. But anyways, Paul continues on saying that in the 21st century, the rural economy was put on the back burner and as if the demographic problem was not enough, a new terrible issue made its appearance, which was the increasingly smaller areas of farmable land, which was constantly being eaten away at by the increasing, expanding, giant urban areas. Urbanization. Now, by this time, it was already a fact that food was no longer adequate and people started looking for nutrition, alternatives, and sources outside the boundaries of the food industry, mainly focusing on seas and oceans, which gave the impression of an inexhaustible source of food. So basically, mankind seeks to shift to a pescatarian diet because fish and seafood in general are innumerable and the oceans do take up 70% of the planet so it seems like a logical shift to feed the 7-10% to of earth that is inhabited by humans and from just the current circumstances we can actually see that the world is overpopulated which has always naturally been a threat that nature curved by sending a few plagues across mankind along with famines and natural disasters in this case it was just one of the several birds used to kill one 
stone by way of mankind creating C-19 instead of letting nature do its thing. But nations aren't actually experiencing food shortages like never before. Grocery stores, even in America, have a drastic decline in stock. So according to Paul, extensive famines begin to occur, especially in the poorest nations of Asia and Africa, and millions of children starve and die due to poverty. But eventually, even the industrialized countries of Europe face hunger, and because of this, social and political upheavals occurred frequently. It is during this time that Paul does note that the Baltic people, together with the Slavs, Scandinavians, Germans, Latinos, Greeks, Walloons, Flemish, the Anglo-Saxons, and a part of the Indians from India and the Israelis have a common stance regarding arguments concerning humanism in regards to food sufficiency, the lack of adequate space, and overpopulation. Meanwhile, people of color find themselves at a disadvantage in all the confrontations regarding issues despite outnumbering other races, and this is because they once had faith in international laws and had left their strongest weapons in the warehouse of a central federal authority. Look at the gun laws that are trying to be forced on us today. And another cause of people of color's disadvantage during this time is going to be the inability to effectively cope with the new discoveries in the field of mass destructive weapons and the scientific conduct of war. However, things in the mid-21st century to late 21st century get so bad that Paul says that the days when whites saw only the person behind black and yellow skin while hypocritically preaching all men are created equal will seem like a dream to the people of this time who now faced hunger and overpopulation. Wow. So basically, things in the mid to late 21st century will get so bad that racism, discrimination, injustice, and prejudice against black and yellow skin people will seem like a mere dream for those same people in comparison to the hunger and the overpopulation that they themselves will then be facing. Wow. That says a lot. The next scary comparison that Paul makes is when he says that the people of the 19th century and the 20th century would not be able to even conceive how huge it would be in the future to find an empty place on earth and compared it to a great evil that is comparable to a sudden flood. During the 21st century, thanks to scientific progress of this era, nutritional and edible substances could be extracted from plankton and the underwater flora and fauna. But eventually, mankind does make the shift from being pescatarian to vegetarian in order to survive. Because of limited vacant space and overpopulation, mankind abandons land and old-fashioned farming and seeks the solution of global nutrition and laboratories by way of artificial photosynthesis. Ultimately, mankind does resort back to the old-fashioned way of farm-to-table vegetarianism after more solutions are made. But the most tragic thing of all was still the phantom of the number, aka overpopulation. At this point in history was when the sentence, the coming years will be hostile, was first uttered. Something preppers have long foreseen. Paul notes that during this time, people lived in very tight spaces, but also in colossal residential areas and many times they were forced to move around wearing masks because of the polluted air. This is essentially Earth being so overpopulated mankind resorts to building vertically instead of horizontally. High-rise apartments versus the traditional suburb full of homes. So people actually chose to rather crowd together in overpopulated cities instead of resorting to residing in countryside full of nature and even began building wide ear bridges called rum 
bombs that served as roadways that lined the skies high above skyscrapers. Kind of like the Jetsons cartoon depicted, but in real life. And during this era, Paul is referring to C-19 when he states people are wearing masks because of the polluted air. And as a consequence, the public becomes angered with the Roman Catholic and Protestant churches saying that because they live in the clouds and forced old perceptions that they directly contributed to overpopulation due to their lack of legislating institutions for effective birth control and monitoring demographics. Paul continues on saying that at the same time on earth, the first serious and somewhat positive universal efforts were made to strike down the monster of disorder due to the absence of absolute individualistic freedom, which has tormented human societies for centuries at this point and in many forms, coming in forms such as political disorganization, fights over sovereignty, military rivalries, the plundering of national economies, demographic anarchies, and the likes. These are the many schisms and prejudices and ideologies that divide society and are being fought against. And this occurs in the 21st century. And so with this, resistance and friction between the old way and the new way caused these that a dramatic struggle that lasted approximately four whole centuries begins. With many alternating phases and transitions, a struggle between the ancient conservative yet well-founded beliefs and the new liberal beliefs clash like never before in history and actually break a lot of barriers and form new ways of life and ideologies. However, this fight goes on for the next 400 years, four centuries. In our lifetimes, we are not going to see the end of this, unfortunately. And I thought we were making such headway in comparison to previous eras and times. Paul writes that mainly in continental Europe and Great Britain, the scientific and intelligence leaders urged the political leaders of the large and powerful nations to stop their outdates and unsynchronized courses of action, preaching that days when people had to fight for their rights were long gone and their own incentives and slogans like national prestige or no compromise no retreat and heroic chorus of the nation had lost their value due to the new conditions of life during this time a new world order does finally prevail amidst all this while small nations had no concerns about the future in the 21st century in the large and powerful countries new political alliances take shape and they integrate characteristics of European universal federations even so Socialists and Christian Democrats incorporate new ideals. Paul writes that technological advances in the 21st century eliminates distance and brought people very close to one another and that the world gave the impression of being a single region. <clears throat> Social media. <clears throat> But the world is still politically disorganized at this point and still waits for the legislators and the powerful politicians with global authority to permanently lay down the rules for the organization of the planet. At the same time, mankind now has weapons of mass destruction in his control, which was priorly unknown and inexistent in earlier times. This rapid technological acme, however, was not in line with the corresponding moral maturity and rationality of mankind. There was no internal law, no law of spiritual culture, which was needed as a guarantor of law and order. So basically, while studying, Paul is saying that mankind in the 21st century is not mature or responsible enough to wield such powerful technology 
and responsibility and will basically become bullies amongst each other because of this newfound power. Allow me to explain something very briefly. World War II ended in 1945. After that came the Cold War, which lasted from 1947 to 1989. And it's called the Cold War because the United States and the Soviet Union never officially declared war on each other. Long story short, these two powers were at odds and they sought out allies to help them gain dominance in the world and would contribute and aid the countries that became their allies. And it was a symbiotic relationship, so it was beneficial for both the superpower and the ally. The United States represented capitalism, the Soviet Union represented communism, and those who allied with them agreed with the respective countries' political ideals. So these two became superpowers, and the countries who sided and allied with the United States became defined as first world countries. The countries who allied with the Soviet Union became defined as second world countries, and the countries who were neither partnered nor allied with either the United States of America nor the Soviet Union were called third world countries and were predominantly developing territories in Asia, Africa, and Latin America. Now, in reference to this horrible 400 years, starting with the 21st century on, this is what Paul says, that wars began to occur. He notes that smaller nations were comfortable with their old societal formations and had their own internal issues to worry about, so they were the last to adopt the new forms of organization. So this is probably referring to third world nations not being in political and societal chaos because they never entered it in the first place. The great powers during this time, however, which had came to the forefront in the 21st century, struggled to understand each other, and there was constant disputes about the distribution of the new universal income, with each part never believing their share of it was fair. The economic wars were usually followed by armed conflicts. In the end, they only used the old conventional weapons since the separatists had no access to the forbidden ones. But this did not prevent the conflict and extensive wars with mass casualties that threatened universal freedom and lasted until the end of the 24th century. For four whole centuries, sometimes the French or the Anglo-Saxons, sometimes the Germans or the Slavs revolted for autonomy, all with the same objective, which was to take the lead from then on in the historical course of mankind. In another field of life, Paul states that the 21st century was marked by the first test flights with destinations to the nearest alien lands. Look at all the wealthiest men racing to space and seeking to colonize Mars. Look at Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos. Within the past few years, it has become very apparent that people have been racing to get the heck from off the surface of Earth. 2204 AD, mankind colonizes Mars and for 60 years manages to build and maintain entire villages and housing estates on the interplanetary colonies. The colony thrives for several years, even under very adverse conditions for humans, but eventually nature on Mars prevails and 20 million souls perish within a few months. And by 2265 AD, a massive holocaust occurs due to the hand of a harsh and very unexpected change of climate and atmospheric conditions that no human technical device was able to restrain. Few survivors were able to return to Earth. Never again does humanity on Earth try to colonize Mars. <laughs> In 2309 AD, a medium-scale nuclear war destroys most of Europe except for Scandinavian and Baltic countries. From 2320 AD to 2350 AD, the repopulation of Europe occurs along with the peaceful settlement of northern populations to the Mediterranean Sea and the surrounding areas. Basically, Europe is recolonized mostly by the remaining northern Europeans. A great part of civilization as we know it ceases to exist. Almost all European temples are destroyed. This destruction hits as an almost extinction, mainly of the yellow and black races 
virus, causing a dramatic decline in the human population. The entire continent of Africa is later mainly inhabited by whites who expanded from Latin America and settled there in Africa centuries prior as a result of the nuclear wars and the recolonization that occurred after the wars that occurred prior to the 24th century. Paul does note that this is the reason that African women in the future are all fair-skinned, meaning they are basically all white. These African women in the future are all white-skinned. The most saddening part is that in the 40th century, Paul notes that seeing an actual black, deeply melanated person was considered a rare, foreign, exotic sight. All different languages of modern day cease to exist as a result of the intermarriage of all peoples of the world over the years, decades, and centuries. But the European Civil War expedited a new one world language. Paul does show resentment towards learning what happens to not just black people, but people of color, particularly though, black people and yellow people. He feels angered that since history is always told from the victor's point of view, that the history that he is learning of in the 40th century is indeed told from the European point of view, and the Europeans are the victor at this point, and they are the ones who had prevailed through time. But Paul knows it only prevailed through time at the cost of the yellow and the black races extinction, who are then only mere specks and pockets in their own original lands of Asia and Africa. The two largest continents that are all now populated majority-wise by Europeans and white Latinos. To see such a flip in the hues and the near extinction of these people, these black and yellow people, in such large lands is indeed saddening. During the 20th to 24th century, however, the white race conquers all of the continents. The Semites make up about 120 million Israelis, most are Christianized, and they develop a high-level technoculture in Southwest Asia with the Holy Land of Israel as its center. Latino populations, mainly from South America, colonize nearly all the central areas of the African continent. Artificial air conditioning makes the Arctic regions warm, and the Arctic is dominated by a brotherhood of Russians, Norwegians, Anglo-Saxons, and other Baltic nations such as those from Finland, Poland, Denmark, and Canada. And Antarctica has a more temperate climate thanks to human intervention and is colonized mainly by white South Africans, Australians, and New Zealanders. Eastern Asia is occupied almost exclusively by Slavs who had came from the North, the descendants of North Americans from the Western states, and by a medley of Europeans who could now fit more comfortably in all the fertile valleys of East Asia. When it says that Eastern Asia is occupied almost exclusively by Slavs, by Slavs, this relates to the people who come from Russia, Ukraine, Belarus, Poland, Czechoslovakia, Serbian people, Bulgarian people, Serbian people, Croatian, Macedonian, and Slovene people. So basically people from the northernmost parts of Asia and Europe are also called Slavic peoples. These people, along with the descendants of the western states of North America, and also a melee of Europeans who can now fit more comfortably in all the fertile valleys of East Asia, these people become the mass majority of occupants in East Asia during this era. Meanwhile, Paul states that several millions of Indians live in the highlands of the center of Asia in the Himalayas and Tibet. In the Mediterranean, the people of Turkey retreat to Lake Van in Turkey. The Greeks re-inhabit Asia Minor since their country as well as North Africa has been evacuated. But North Africa is later resettled by Italians as soon as life there is possible again. For reference, Asia Minor is Italy, Greece, Albania, Macedonia, Bulgaria, Turkey, Egypt, Libya, Israel, and Lebanon. So according to Paul, the Greeks leave Greece and inhabit a 
Asia Minor. I'm going to assume that they do not go migrate into Macedonia nor Albania, which are so close to Greece, but instead go to inhabit the other parts of Asia Minor, such as Italy, Bulgaria, Lebanon, and Israel, but do not relocate to the other countries of Asia Minor, such as Libya and Egypt as well, because those are countries in North Africa, which was evacuated due to the nuclear war that occurred in Europe that made most of the European lands, except for the Baltic and Scandinavian regions, inhabitable for a period of time, which is why everybody was relocating to Asia Minor in the first place. However, North Africa is later inhabitable, and at that time, it is settled by the Italians. I do want to note, in reference to the extinction of the Black and the Yellow races and Asia and Africa being populated majority-wise by white Europeans and white Latinos, meanwhile, indigenous Africans and Asians are extinct, basically, considered a rare sight. So I do want to note that in today's time, I do think that Blacks and Latinos, Afro-Latino or not, are interbreeding by large percentages. As a matter of fact, Blacks and all races are interbreeding at an exceptional rate right now as we speak. So I do believe that another large reason that finding an actual Black person will be hard to find in the future is because already in today's time, most people are mixed with something or have children who are mixed and look ambiguous already. Look at Generation Alpha. Once Generation Alpha grows up, one can assume they will continue to interbreed outside their race and culture with other mixed children. Generation Alpha predominantly looks mixed, okay? So I'm just saying that this will ultimately change the face of black people as a whole. So I do think by the end of the 21st century, the stereotypical look of a black person will be vastly different from Paul's early 1900s stereotypical knowledge of how black people look. As even in 2021, it has changed from the early 1900s. Not only that, but it is known that in the Latin American world, the culture of lightening and whitening the race is indeed a thing. A sad thing, but nonetheless, it is a mindset that exists and is taught and is common. So from that, I can definitely see how one thing could lead to the other. As in because of the effect European colonization had on the entire world, people of color and the Americas and Asia and Africa are conditioned that white is better, white is right, and that lightening their race is the right thing to do. And it is occurring already. Just look around you. So it is not unimaginable that in a century or two, Afro-Latinos will no longer exist. Black Americans who will go from being black people to predominantly a phenotypically mixed race of people, eventually white it out. And then these groups will migrate to Africa and change the phenotype and the complexion of Africa by large. And East Asians also endure the effects of European colonization and being white skinned as being better already. So of course the same thing will occur with them. And by the time this European nuclear war occurs, they will of course interbreed with the remaining Europeans who migrate into their countries seeking refuge, as will the Africans who are now white. And ta-da, by the time of the 40th century where Paul went to, there are barely any more people of color, let alone actual deeply melanated black people. Like I said, just look at the children that exist right now in 2021. I'm talking about like your little five and six year olds, your generation alpha. Most of these black generation alpha kids are light-skinned, ambiguous looking. There's not a lot of chocolate babies anymore. Why? Because generation alpha's parents are millennials and generation Z. The millennials and generation Z, we broke a lot of social and racial barriers. When it came to the people that we interbred with, we married, that we had children with. And hence, there are not a lot of pure chocolate babies anymore. There's just not. There's not a lot of unmixed people in general anymore. And if these little ambiguous and light-skinned and mixed babies mix with somebody white, then you get somebody like Meghan Markle, who people can't even differentiate between being mixed and being 
being white just based off how she looks. I thought the bitch was white! God damn it! I thought the bitch was white! <laughs> Fuck! Paul states the following on the 40th century's reflection on the 21st century, which is that the 21st century had to come in order for people to suddenly realize that they were hovering above a frightening gap in the global public sphere and that their institutions were completely obsolete. So gradually, the once dominant states began to bestow, deliberately or not, part of their previously almighty powers, especially in the fields of foreign policy, international relations and arms, to a central federal political organization. They kept their historical memories, traditions, and customs, language, legends, and their domestic institutions. But they had now realized that in a future war, there would be no winners or losers. They would either stick together or all together mankind would lose. They began to see who the true enemy was, which was the lack of strong and effective global institutions with the preventative mission to control all forms of conflict. They finally realized that what united people was their common biological fate and their shared responsibility for the maintenance of culture, which was more important than what separated them. So basically, in the 40th century, they look back on the 21st century and see this as an era where mankind had to break down all the schisms and things that divide us as people and realize that what's important is us working together, keeping this planet together, keeping it running, or else there won't be no who won this or who lost this. No, mankind would cease to exist, so we need to find a new system to make this thing work out with the old and with the new that's why the 21st century is a critical time for the future 2394 ad the final european constituent assembly 2395 AD, the final World Constituent Assembly. 2396 AD, also known as the year of the new calendar era and system, year one. In this year, Redstot is established. Redstot is a universal commonwealth of law and order, which is a global parliament on Earth and a global union of all territories on Earth, a totalitarian form of government. This global parliament is elected through voting by the nations. However, it is not elected by politicians or businessmen as has been done throughout history in terms of choosing the heads of government. Instead, this global parliament is elected by scientists, technologists, and humanitarian figures. Despite some nations resisting Red Star, it prevails and contributes to the ultimate progression of mankind up until that point in history by bringing the world together under one political ideology, a new world order. The establishment of Red Star is the end of prehistory and the beginning of the historical era, a new beginning in the chronological timeline and starts a new year of one. In the same way that Christ's birth marks a new chronological timeline and a new year one by dividing time into B.C. before Christ and A.D. Anno Domini. In this timeline from 986 to 3382 A.D. is called the ancient period of history. Money as we know it does not exist and cease to exist. Somewhere in the midst of all this Australia is converted into a huge generator that supplies almost the entire globe with energy on its own. Although there are not economic inequalities as we knew them in this modern time, there are still inequalities over control of the level of technology and properties. Conflicts amongst humans become real and large-scale wars are now a thing of the past and considered immature and trivial. 2596 AD, year 200. Top scientists around the world are now the new world leaders, responsible for all global government actions. At the beginning, they were given order by politicians with global influence. 
2823 AD, year 427, there is global adequacy. Industrial goods have been evenly distributed successively amongst all society and every person has exactly what they need. The overpopulation, the climate, the nutrition, and the ecological problems are now solved. The planetary resources are redistributed and are now enough for every single person on the planet. Meaning, everybody on Earth now has access to free clothes, food, housing, transportation, entertainment, scientific products, and creative expression. There is no longer any private property. Artificial photosynthesis, of course, comes in handy with maintaining substantial vegetarian diets. Everybody is a vegetarian. There are not any more zoos, no animal enslavement, nor abuse of any kind. There are no material inequalities, only inequalities of reputation, honor, and public appraisal. Life is easy. People work less and less during their life and are able to experience life without being caught in the daily bustle of the rat trap of struggling and seeking financial gain and stability to even survive. <laughs> 2894 AD, year 498, the beginning of the 200 founders of the Valley of Roses. The Valley of Roses is the world's learning hub and is considered the heart of the earth, especially with society being led by top scientists around the world. A learning hub of the Valley of Roses esteem is considered most important in the world at this time. Where the saying, knowledge is wealth, is truly a thing. The development of this valley placed Europe next to the North and South American cultural regions that for hundreds of years at this point have been the centers of spiritual culture from California to Florida to Boston and New Orleans, Cape Town, and Pretoria. 3000 AD, there is a new renaissance in spiritual values. 3200 AD, the 9th century, this is the golden age for arts and spiritual achievements. 3307 AD, year 911, Alexis Volke is born. 3382 AD. September 6th is later announced as the first day of the new era as Homo sapiens evolve into Homo occidentalist Noahs after the Vulcan preaching becomes a global consensus due to a man named Alexis Vulcan being hit by the Nibble Verge, then surviving and gaining a new enlightenment. The Nibble Verge is a term meaning a new cognitive ability, a new consciousness attained by human beings, a new antenna of perception and comprehension that is added to the human brain. This new superpower is called Aversinians, which is a hypervision and hyperintuition that also allows human beings to communicate via telepathy. People one after the other acquire suddenly this new spiritual ability and direct access to the great spiritual light or direct knowledge with extremely powerful and of stunning clarity creative powers. It is also a mutation of the human brain. Vogue was considered the first to be hit by this consciousness, the chosen one, the first chosen one. But year after year, hundreds than thousands were enlightened by the Nibble Verge in the preceding years after Volki's experience. In the beginning, people from all over the world started neglecting their jobs and had almost completely given up on all worldly matters and concerns. They were unable to handle this new enlightenment and did not understand how to maneuver it through daily life. So Volki and other great men felt the need to stop this mass exodus that followed because hundreds of thousands of people's original motives for living had been replaced with a new impulse of escaping and freedom due to the noble virgin side effects of feelings of happiness, spiritual peace, divine joy, and nearly Socratic conciliation with death, which meant people were now disregarding all worldly things, including their earthly shells. They wanted to die. Thus, the reason mankind stopped caring to live, hence the term mass exodus. <sighs> 
986 through 987. The spiritual leadership of Earth becomes seriously concerned with the new psychological and spiritual maturity, spiritual progress, and biological evolution that resulted because of the Neville Birch. It seemed that the masses were unprepared with the exception of Volki and a few hundred wise elders. Spiritual leaders took a hold of the mass exodus by reminding people of each individual having a purpose that serves as a piece of the network of mankind's survival and that mankind must love and give pieces of themselves to others and help nature. That all of mankind has something to offer. Termination of all of mankind's life on earth would only stop mankind's progression and deprive future generations of the chance to evolve just as the noble verse had given mankind the chance to evolve. And it would be unfair to those generations just as it would have been unfair if mankind's ancestors had decided to induce extinction on themselves instead of evolving and surviving. Alongside this mantra was the reorganization of society with the goal of stimulating life into people again. 3392 AD, year 996. Alexis Volki dies at the age of 86 years old. 3400 through 4000 AD. A new golden age comes into humanity after almost 1000 years of a dark age. Now, in the global government, are not any more scientists and technocrats. Instead, there are universal creators, which are personalities that combine simultaneously the qualities and abilities of philosophers, artists, scientists, mystics, etc. Everything in society is free clothes, housing, food, transportation, etc. And there is no longer any private property. And the only inequalities in society are of honor and reputation. Gold is considered useless while knowledge and wisdom are considered wealth. Gold is but a reminder of being a source of human suffering during the dark years. And all the gold left in the world is inside of one temple and is nothing but a symbol of peace. People do not count the success of their lives with the technological and material standards of living anymore, but mainly with their emotional, mental, and spiritual development and self-improvement. People only work two years in their entire lives. The population of Earth is less than a billion people and there is an abundance of products for a decent living for everybody. The laws in society are radically reduced to very few as only the negative or criminal intentions of individuals in society are almost absent, meaning people with criminal mindsets are zero to none during this time. And after the Vulcan revelation, religions are regarded to be akin to fairy tales, something that is a comfort and alleviation. It is said that the need for salvation is the reason that religions were established in the first place, that men feel that life is impossible without a religious feeling. Despite religion being viewed as a prehistoric fairy tale and fantasy, figures like Jesus, Buddha, Socrates, Plotinus, St. Augustine, Origen Adamant of Alexandria, Francis Bacon, René Descartes, Baruch Spinoza, and Immanuel Kant, and others, including many scholars, religious heads, and philosophers from Asia, were held to the greatest esteem and deemed as figures whose mentalities, personalities, teachings, influence, and very essences were simply too far beyond their time. Figures who had dwelled as the spiritual and philosophical pillars of mankind and that had, up until the Neville Verge, had been alleviating human suffering way past their physical deaths due to their advanced wisdom and knowledge and teachings. Interesting take, because in today's time, intellects actually speak on the difference between atheists and agnosticism and feel a certain animosity against those who do not believe in a higher power, saying that minds such as atheists should not be plentiful because if 
people do not believe in a higher power, something above them, then civilization cannot exist. People need something to believe in because there will be no other reason for people to abide by any structure or have any consciousness to keep themselves in line. Like people would not behave if they didn't fear going to hell. They have to believe that there is something above them. There is a light at the end of the tunnel. There has to be a reason for all the different nuances and struggles of life. There has to be something after this that's there. People have to be able to believe in that and that is what religion provides and that is how society is built slaves were thinking about the end game like yeah we're going through hell on earth but after we die we are going to heaven those first will be last and those last will be first i will turn the other cheek and endure all this pain from this other person because at the end of the day when i die they are going to hell and they're going to be punished and i am going to heaven and i'm going to be in eternal peace that type of thinking is what religion provides a comfort so it's funny to me that when the nibble verge consciousness evolved into the human brain and consciousness people seem to give up on life entirely people wanted to kill themselves. They called this the mass exodus because people no longer saw a purpose in life because they realized that religion was not real. Everything that they knew was not real, basically, because people build their whole entire lives around religion, the way they walk, the way they talk, the way they conduct themselves, everything. So to lose that, it's kind of like losing yourself. And they actually lost their minds, which is why it was called the mass exodus. They wanted to just cease to exist. But continuing, Paul says that during this time, people are also no longer afraid of extraterrestrials, nor in the dark about extraterrestrials. Mankind knows all about the neighboring planets and the few neighboring planets that have life on them being inhabited by intelligent and spiritual beings that lack the instinct of domination and lack the concept of conquest and expansion. These extraterrestrials have a higher view of and better respect for life and they are harmless to humans. They could have pursued contact with humanity thousands of years ago with their technology but did not because they were aware that mankind did not want any contact or relationship with them not even a peaceful one so they preferred watching mankind and studying mankind to satisfy their thirst for research the only times that they did contact humans was when they felt that mankind was in danger of extinction because of mankind's own immaturity and inability to handle the tremendous power of nature that mankind had unlocked during this time these extraterrestrials apparently come to earth teaches mankind then disappears again it sounds like what the ancient indigenous peoples around the world tell of when they mention extraterrestrials, aka their gods coming down to earth and what they did for them. There was a peaceful relationship most of the time. History does indeed always repeat itself. Proving once again that our ancient ancestors were very much more evolved than us. But anyways, continuing, flying discs are in use, but a new form of transportation is introduced that involves field gates, which are basically like portals between the physical and spiritual realms in which material vehicles and their occupants are raised to a finer, non-physical vibration and then moved instantly to another location in three-dimensional space then rematerialized spiritual technologies such as this are introduced to earth by other galactic civilizations aliens now that humankind is ready as more and more people become telepathic science takes tremendous strides and the mass population is exposed to there being an internal sun and atmosphere inside the interior of earth that spans billions of years of existence cities are built inside of earth's interior aka Earth is no longer something considered a crazy conspiracy when scientists and the most intelligent people on Earth in the future deem it as real. Continuing, in medical science, pharmaceutical drugs only play a very small part. Instead, they are replaced by sound, color, light, and meditation therapy. Mm. And planetary languages are developed based on three-dimensional inner vision images that are projected mentally without sound, writing, or internet. I like the sound of that. <sighs> 
year 3905 AD to 3906 AD. Andreas Northam writes his diary pages. He has vivid memories of pre-existence for a period of 12 months before falling asleep for the first time in a year and dying at the age of 29. And this is when he returns to the past inside of his original body where he awakes out of a coma in the year 1922. George Papahasis gradually translated Paul Diagnosis notes with his not-so-perfect German over a period of 14 years from the years of 1926 to 1940, mostly in his spare time and during summer breaks. World War II and the Greek Civil War delayed his efforts of spreading the amazing story that landed on his desk all those years ago. On the eve of Christmas in 1944, George Papahasis was staying with friends at a house which was also used and occupied by the Greek army. When the soldiers caught sight of Paul Diagnosis notes, which were of course in German, they confiscated them because they considered them suspicious. They told Papahasis that they would return them only after they had examined their contents. They never did, but by then, George Papahasis had already finished the translation. George Papahasis tried to track down information about Paul Dianesh by visiting Zurich 12 times between 1952 and 1966. He could not find a single trace of him, nor any relatives, neighbors, or friends. Paul Dianesh, who is thought to have fought with the Germans during World War I, probably never gave George his real name in Greece, a country that had fought against the Germans. After the end of World War II and the Greek Civil War, George Papahasis gave the translated diary to some of his friends, who were Masons, Theosophists, professors of theology, and two anti-Nazi Germans. And after that, when everybody realized what they had in their hands, this diary was kept within a closed philosophical circle and in the Teutonic Lodge, in which he was a member. Yes, George Papahasis was a Mason. The book was taken very seriously by the Masons, who did not want this information to spread into larger circles. They considered this book to be almost holy, containing wisdom about the future of humanity, and better kept only for a few. Finally, after strong disputes, George Papahantes decided to publish Paul Dianash's diary. It was during a period that Greece entered the hardest phase of the seven-year dictatorship in 1972. Strong protests from certain church circles who considered this book to be heretic, and the fall of this dictator a year later condemned the first addition to oblivion. No one was interested in the future when the present was so intense and violent. All these factors, along with the difficult language and the rough style of Paul Dianash's notes, which mixed together elements of his past, along with his experience of the future, made this diary even more difficult to understand. Only a few had the time, patience, and knowledge to decode the secret knowledge that laid encoded within almost 1,000 pages. Another edition followed in 1979 in Greece. However, again, the book disappeared, and it was hardly mentioned again apart from the few that already knew of its existence. After all the silence, George Papahasis died and his family did not wish to carry on with his work. 22 years passed before the diary was picked up again by Radomathus Anastasikis, a high-ranking member of the Masonic Lodge in Greece, who decided to publish this book on a small scale, exactly as it was previously written. While George Papahasis was just a student at the time of receiving Paul Dianash's diary, he went on to become a very respectable man of his era. He was vice president of the European movement, the National Council of Greece, the founding member of the Greek Philosophical Society, and a professor of philosophy and culture. He risked a lot in publishing Paul Dianash's work, and this on its own reflects his unwavering
Gabriel believed in its authenticity. Having read Paul's work, The Chronicles of the Future for myself, I will say I do recommend checking it out. Personally, I found this book one of the best, worst book I have ever read. Of course, I say worst because as a black woman myself, it is very disheartening and frankly scary that black people will cease to exist in the future. However, I do not think that what Paul wrote was some kind of comatose fantasy and just from being aware of the world around me right now and even just before reading this book, I could foresee the direction our world is headed in currently and it does align with what Mr. Paul himself recalled from the 40th century when he peered back on what's going on in the 21st century. I can only envy those who live in a world like the 40th century, however. I always think what would happen if there was no colonization and people weren't prejudiced, if there weren't all these schisms that divide us in society. What if there wasn't any money? Who created this? Like, this world is so beautiful. Why can't we just experience it? Why we gotta just exist? What's up with this rat race? Why can't we just love each other and harvest crops, take care of the planet, the planet takes care of us? Kumbaya, right? Of course, when I say these things, if I say these things out loud, I would sound very naive because what kind of thinking is that, right? I'm such a earth-loving, tree-hugging, free-spirited person. And being trapped in the 21st century, let me just say this. I hate it here. But apparently, in the future, there would be a place for people like me. Now, apparently, there is a thousand-page version. I was not able to obtain it, but I was able to obtain the 396-page version called The Chronicles of the Future, The Amazing Story of Paul Amadeus Dianish. I definitely recommend checking this book out. It is definitely a very, very good read. And that concludes this video. Thank you very much if you made it to the end. <laughs> discussions of conspiracy theories or odd and unusual things that happen on this planet or in outer space or anywhere please like comment and subscribe i will not let you down